Mustafa, what are we what are we drinking? I think this one has a bit of a story. What we are drinking is Bavarian single malt whiskey from Heiligenberg Feld. So it looks like a holy hill field, something like that. It's from mm. Bavaria. And this is a special whiskey, or I kind of distilled on sixth of <laughs> oh good lord, sixth of twenty twenty. <laughs> Uh, I guess during the COVID, it was distilled, distilled, distilled and bottled first of 2024, and uh, there were 13 casks. Or, and this is the bottle 53 of 431. So we're starting high end. Um, we'll, we'll get into a tasting a little bit in a minute. But we're, we're this is Bavaria, which if you don't know is uh, where Munich is in Germany. Bayern, uh-huh. yes. as it's called in German. Uh, we're actually going to do. A, we're not going to do. We are doing a German whiskey special. We have three, uh, two from Bavaria, one from Brandenburg, which is the area around Berlin. And we'll come into a little bit more details about German whiskey in a moment. Yes. Well, let's, uh, let's... We decide we want to talk a little bit about more about what we're doing when we taste. So <laughs> we have these in our glasses. What's the Glenking glasses? Glenking. Proper Glenking. It's quite, it's quite dark, actually. Um, it kind of looks almost like a red beer color. Yeah, it was on a cask. I think it was, it was on a cask. Yeah, was it port was it? barrel? You said port wine, aged in port wine mm. casks. It's you can definitely smell mm. the port. So what what I am doing anyway, which is kind of what we learned, is you stick your nose pretty much right in, mm. and you actually breathe back some of the air back out your nose that you actually takes the, the edge bottle. off that's what i remember being told when we were in scotland if you actually mm. blow some of the air back into the glass through your nose or through your mouth <laughs> through your nose which is why often when you hear people tasting whiskey it just sounds like they're sighing a lot because <laughs> you basically are ah, uh, and it takes the edge off apparently i don't know there's a lot of things you do with whiskey same with wine where you wonder how much difference it makes but I think I think sometimes with like whiskey, with wine, with people who are into teas, and there's also a degree of just the process that's kind of half the fun. Even if it does nothing, it's kind of enjoyable to do anyway. You know what oh, I mean? Oh yeah. You know? I mean, I, I it smells a bit like the dark beer, caramelly. Yeah, that's yeah. what I said. I mean, said. it is from Bavaria, where they make a lot of beers, so that's not too unreasonable, I suppose. But compared to my Japanese favorite whiskey, which had that medicine or medicine-like smell. This doesn't have that. It's very sweet, smooth. Wow. Hits you in the nose, strangely. Mm. Quite sweet. Sweeter than I expected. For a 58.7%, whiskey is pretty smooth. I need Standard. to admit that. It makes me think of, so over Christmas, mm-hmm. my wife made, which is usually something you put in um, like English Christmas pudding and mince pies. She made a lot of um, alcohol-soaked fruit. She soaked them in. Um, she soaked them in. alcohol. Soaked. Yeah, but what alcohol? She soaked them in uh, brandy. Brandy, okay. And strangely, some of them sat a bit longer, and some of the last ones we had kind of has that. I guess that's the port coming through. It has that similar, like warming, sweet taste. When you say port, is it the grape taste or what is it? Well, port, 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 and sherry in my mind have similar-ish taste mm-hmm. profile. Like it's fortified wine. So you get that kind of almost like raisins, current, mm. dried fruits kind of taste. Um, and I'm feeling that a lot with this. It's not um, smoky. It's not fiery. 
it leaves quite a burn in your throat. That's probably the alcohol. But it's got a very nice, like, warming... This would be a nice Christmas whiskey. It's got, like, a very nice kind of fruity warmth to it. Yeah, it is. It's definitely not like the scotch. No, it it's is, quite different. It is more yeah. flavorful. I need to admit that. Yeah. It, well, it's, flavor, you know, flavorful is obviously personal, but it definitely is different. That's for sure. More wood taste, I would say. Yeah? yeah. A little bit. Mmm. Mmm. What else? It's very cozy. Cozy. Like uh, it reminds me as if I should sip this one next mm. to a fireplace. Exactly. Yeah, yeah like yeah. your Christmas tune, as I yeah. said. And maybe with a mince pile, that would ruin the taste. But <laughs> and that's very English and this is German, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In <Some> my... Stolen. <laughs> like, it might be like a fantasy land. I have a fireplace, nice winter snowing outside and sipping this whiskey and then reading a book, maybe. Yeah. That might be a good image, that kind of triggers in my brain. So whilst we sup on this, I don't think this is one you want to knock back. And we only have three. Okay. And this one is by far probably the strongest of the lot in every different way. We can we can we can sit on this for a little bit. So yeah. we wanted to do um German whiskey just because it's nice to do something a bit different and there's other places we will do, but we're in Germany. So yeah. this is the interesting thing. I <laughs> thought German whiskey, we're in Germany, easy. It's bizarrely hard to buy German whiskey in Germany and it's expensive as well. It's more expensive than Scotch, which is weird. I wanted to also get um, Eschenbräu, Eschenbräu, which comes from Wedding, which is actually ah. not far from where we are. They but, make also? They yeah, produce also but you whiskey. kind of either have to order from their website or you ah. have to go there. Go there and pick it up yourself. And it's, very, it's mostly a brewery. The beer is quite nice. Uh, and often you're not even sure if they're going to have something in stock because it's quite small. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was also relatively expensive, but they're small batches, I suppose. I think most German distillers are independent still, which is probably why they're expensive because yeah. they don't have the capacity. And the- yeah, I remember checking one of these websites, this Heiligenberg. I think they only have one still. I yeah. think that is compared to the Glenfiddich. I think they yeah. had a row of these copper yeah. Oh, yeah. stills. Oh, but these a- ones, I think they only have yeah. one or two stills, and then that, that's what they do. Still, right? They call the still yeah. those copper things. I pulled up some um, some information. I actually initially looked at the English Wikipedia, and English Wikipedia for German whiskey had more information but less listings, and it the page had not been updated very much. So I went to German Wikipedia. Um, now, it's interesting because Germany, I think, for spirits is mostly known for schnapps mm-hmm. and Kräuterlikör, like Jägermeister, is probably the most famous oh, one that yeah, people know. Anderberg is one of my favorites, and the bombs of Berlin, they yeah, drink Anderberg. Yeah, this kind of stuff, uh, but not so much for whiskey. Although whiskey, now I'm looking here, it actually claims here, there have been 150 years of whiskey production in Germany, but really? it's not hmm. very big. The English page said in the past like 10 years is when it's become more popular. Mm. Also, Germany makes a lot of quite good gin. Gin as well. So they are yeah. starting to make <clears throat> other spirits that Germany is not so well known for. Interestingly, it seems so far that most whiskey comes from either East Germany or Bavaria, whereas gin, a lot of the gin I've seen comes from Hamburg. Yeah, that's the one so, I ordered, which didn't arrive. Uh, unfortunately, Hamburg. it is they call the K whiskey. A colleague of mine recommended it. It's called they age it in a cave. I don't know what it does. What? It's cave in a cave. Yes, that cowboy is kind of cave age whiskey. In a cave? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I was that's why I, a cave, I and I wanted to buy that one. That's why I paid for it, and then it didn't come. And 
figure that out later. So, so we'll figure it out. But I haven't really done any numbers, but looking on this list on the German Wikipedia, mm. I would say it's probably about 30 or so oh. distilleries in Germany. How is the, by the way, aftertaste right now, do you feel in your mouth? I mean, I'm mostly getting the kind of warmth. The taste warmth. is largely gone. Taste is gone, but yeah. I mean, for some reason, it only burns in my mouth. It doesn't go down the throat. Some, I get a little bit on my chest, but not in so your much. Chest, yeah. Not that much. Because yeah. if I drink a bourbon at like 50% upgrade, yeah. it burns as it goes down. But this one is kind yeah. of very light in the mouth, yeah. despite that 58.7%. Yeah. It doesn't taste like it, which is always and dangerous. And the other thing is that they have these like 500 milliliter bottles. I don't know what is the hell it is. Because they don't make very many. Uh, so I don't think many German whiskey distillers are that well known. The only ones I can see here that you might know, there's Storterbecker, which I don't know if is connected to the brewery. And I don't know if Storterbecker beer is known outside Germany, but it's kind of like a, it's weird. It's not really a craft beer, but it kind of sits between normal beer and craft beer. Mm. St. Killian, which mm-hmm. is quite well known and might surprise people that it's not Irish because that is an Irish name. I have a friend called Killian, but it's oh. actually German. So there we go. Um, Sleers mm. is fairly well known and we'll move on to that. Yeah, this this one uh, this one reminds me of the Dalvini, a little bit Scotch Dalvini. Maybe, It yeah. has that smoothness of that Dalvini or sweetness. Yeah. Heiligenberg felt. It looks like yeah. it's a holy mountain, the mountain with the holy hill. Fields, Bavarian single malt. Yeah. I think single malt, maybe that's why it has a similar taste. Yeah. Definitely natural color, non chill filtered. I don't know what the non chill filter means, but. Not chilled. Yeah, <laughs> not chilled. But uh, I kind of like the bottle. It looks nice in the hand. And to give you a vague idea here, so this list of like 30 or so distilleries, only about <laughs> four or five of them have their own Wikipedia page, oh. which shows you that they're not that big. No, they're all um, boutique. I kind of feel are. like they're all boutique distillers. Yeah. And you have either this, uh, a lot of or... them are something Brennerei, which is the German word for hmm. distiller, basically. Oh, I'm getting some and dried then, plum taste. They're all over the place, actually. It seems like most of the world, like the bigger ones are Bavarian. Mm. They're all over the place. There's even one in uh, Marzahn, which is Marzahn in Berlin, Far East Berlin. But I it's, mean, it's cool. Is... It's cool. Are you ready for this? The name of it is is brilliant. What is it? It's called. Cool. I'm trying to find it again. Deutsche Spirituosen Manufacturer, German Spirit Manufacturer. It's a very Deutsche Spirituosen Manufacturers. Interesting. And here we go. We've actually got uh, some some um, ages here. Hmm. So most of them are relatively recent. 1989 seems to be the oldest. Most of them began in the 2000s. Well, this is well, this is Wikipedia. 1818. There we go. That's the oldest. Where is it? Where was that? That is in Bayern. Most of them in the past 30 years, apart from one, which is kind of crazy. Isn't mm. it? I think the other one that is equivalent, which we spoke about before, is corn, which is the other kind of German spirit, uh, okay. which is often made from the same stuff, but it's much younger. Uh, okay. It's like uh, when we had in... Um, in the distilleries in Scotland, you could have that like, uh, they had a special word for it, like the young whiskey. That's actually very similar. It's basically what corn is, I think. But uh, yeah, having heard the uh, the efforts you had to go to get this, it's good, but... Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I bumped into this by random walk, you know? Yeah. Because we planned to find some whiskey and then after our uh, shut up and write. Yeah. I went to all the liquor shops on my way. And then this one is the fancy place called Whiskey yeah. and Cigar. cigar. 
And I was a bit, you have to ring the bell to get into the place. Yeah, the door wasn't open. It is that exclusive. It, it gave you that oh, Lord. exclusive uh, club membership Mekesha kind of feeling. Like so, tourist area because I well. pushed the door yeah. and then I, it didn't open. And then my friend was with me. He said, hey, you got to ring the bell. So I rang the bell and then one guy, well, well-dressed, young man. He you kind of up. felt obliged to buy something after that. <laughs> no, I mean, yes. I went inside and I asked him in German, do you have any German whiskeys? He says, yes, as a matter of fact, we have. Then he took me in front of a shelf and said, these two are the only whiskeys we have. What was the other <laughs> only one? Only two. The, and the other one, I don't know. It was expensive. That's why I didn't yeah. buy yeah. it. looked good. I, I mean, that one was, I think, 200 euros or something. Oh, Lord. And but then it's also very inconsistent because Sleers you can find in some supermarkets, yeah. Stork you can find in some supermarkets, yes. Uh, Hellinger is another one I came across that yes. you can find in some supermarkets, yes. But it's not consistent. Whereas yeah. Scotch, you will find something. You will find at least, um, like Monkey Barrel or whatever it's called, uh, or Jameson's in Monkey, in Monkey Shoulder. Shoulder, or Jameson's uh. in most places. You know. Hmm. Whereas with German stuff, it's Still quite uncommon. It might be distribution problem. Probably, uh, yeah, because they're all small, obviously. They are small, and yeah. then most probably they are not yeah. carried by most uh, and distributors. And things like Jameson's and stuff are owned by huge conglomerates. Like, oh, they yeah. may be Scotch whiskey, but they're owned by... Yeah, they, they, <laughs> I'm sure they have the distribution or yeah. channel power, and, and these they, guys... And they're not just selling them whiskey. They're selling them whiskey, vodka, gin, everything, you know. I mean, they like, might be like me doing a self-publishing and then not selling. <laughs> Because you don't have the distribution channel. <laughs> How's it going, Mustafa? <laughs> that sounded a little... Uh... Now that you asked me, Chris, I was thinking of uh, shooting a video like as the crying man and then just saying, oh, the, in TikTok, I think that was the latest meme lately. People that were just crying, these uh, Gen really? Zs. They said, oh, I am so sad. I bought a flat and then they thought that everybody just bullied me online. Gen and they Z just cried. bought a flat. How did they, Gen they Z like crying. a flat? They like crying on the TikTok. And I said, maybe I could do really a Really crying? Or? Yeah, really crying wow. because uh, something happened and that was the meme last year. I said, maybe I can do a video and then just cry. And then somebody asked me, hey, Mustafa, why are you crying? I said, I'm just crying because my book is not selling. That was the... <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, that feels like a legitimate reason to cry. Yes, I mean, I'm literally crying. But I'm, what if I made it a video on this... Uh, Probably, old man. Probably, have you heard how influential TikTok is on book sales these days? I don't know. So maybe you should do that. I should. Maybe you can help me do that. And I, I struggle with the crying part. And it's like, how it's can hard. I cry? And today I was making some... Wasabi? Uh, onions? Onions, onions, yeah. onions. I was uh, cutting some, chopping some onions and then I started to feel the urge. And I said, hmm, that's a good idea. Oh, by the way, I think the oven is kind of ticking. Maybe I should pick that pizza out. Okay. And then, All right, Mustafa. We haven't uh, got very far. But let's take a let's take a break. Break, but we will come back. I think today we can take maybe more breaks than uh, <laughs> Okay, we Chris. take a break every time we change whiskeys, Christopher. Yeah, that was it. We have so, the same amount of whiskey. Okay, what do we say about this whiskey? Okay, it's good. Good. Um, it's different. It's different. very warming. Warming. Whether it's worth the money, I'm not sure. But that's hard to say because oh. it's obviously a very small batch. Yeah, I so see. you know. But it is pretty I mean, good. It's very smooth. Sweet smoothness, I yeah. agree. It's almost Fruity. verging more on like um, like brandy kind of vibe. Yeah, it is very sw yeah. smooth drinking. I agree. It burns in the mouth, but it doesn't burn mm. through my throat. That's it's other nice. thing. It's good. It's nice. It gave me this little 
plum, right? Plum aftertaste. Yes, definitely. I had yeah. that uh, aftertaste. Yeah. yeah. And then it leaves this nice flavor in my mouth. I think yeah, that's it, what... it is, it's pleasant. It's, it's pleasant. enjoyable. It's enjoyable. It doesn't so, whack you in the face like a lot of the no. smoky scotch. No, no. They just punch you. It's yeah. just like, it's this like, is like... This is more like... There, there, Mustafa. Yes. I'm sorry you didn't sell yes, yes, there, there, there. <laughs> <laughs> Where Scotch is like, get over yourself. Go, wake up, wake up. It's like, it's more like if you are going to wake you up, like, wake up. It's like Scotch or this one is just, hey, would you mind waking up? It's sunny. It's like the spring sun giving a kiss on your cheeks. It is not like a on that punch. note, Mustafa, let's take a break. Okay. Okay, Chris. <laughs> Oh, we're back after far too much pizza and uh, potato wedges. <laughs> ah, potato, potato. Or... I fall asleep during this bit. Um, what are we drinking, Mustafa? So we are starting the tasting the sleers, or how they pronounce it, I don't know. Sleers, I guess. There is mm. no... These are all like consonants. Can you believe that? <laughs> True, actually, yeah. Yeah, S L Y R S. How do you? Why? Term? Why is a is a very particular consonant. Upsilon, you know, Y means in German upsilon. I don't Which know why. One, yeah, yeah, but slurs, slurs, or if you use the slurs in mm. German, maybe. So it is a single malt whiskey, classic. Where is does it come from? It it's comes Bavaria from as well. Bavaria. Yeah. Uh, they wrote something here which I can read. Oak casks. It is in New American oak cask. Mm. Matured in, okay, New American oak cask. So this is the thing. Um, German whiskey doesn't really have any set style. And also, apparently, <laughs> I was reading, they don't even decide whether it's spelt with an E or not. Um, <laughs> oh, whiskey, okay. So you do get a bit of a split between the Scottish style, the Irish style, the American style. Um and I think I would say out of the German whiskey selection, Sleers is probably one of the better known ones. I think it uh, won some awards a few years ago. Oh, Might really? What the label around the neck is about. I'm not How sure. How did you come to know this whiskey? Because I never noticed I just remember that. seeing it in a shop and okay. thinking, oh, that's interesting. And then I think at the time they had some award from somewhere. Let's smell it. Sniff it first. It's quite caramel, isn't it? Hmm. All right, a second. I don't... It's light. It's not really strong either. That's, uh, that's interesting. Mm. It's a different... What's the actual strength? 43%. I found it on the neck. So why did they hide it? It is on the neck. It says 43% volume of volume is alcohol. So It's okay. quite alcoholy, chemically smelling, but there is a caramel kind of. Hmm. Smell-wise, I don't feel much. It's a bit light, let's say that way, on my end. It's a sort of fairly neutral drinkability. Sweet. I think that's the first sweet, thing. but not as sweet as the last one. No. It, is, it doesn't have more taste depth like the last one. I think the last Color-wise, one... Color-wise, it's probably half as light. Yeah, as it is half light. <laughs> vanilla, I think that's the taste I would yeah, say. Vanilla, vanilla. caramel. Yeah, vanilla yeah. is the, the strongest taste I feel with this one. Fruity, maybe. Hmm. Not bad, actually. It has... This has a more stronger... One taste. Mm. There's one taste. It doesn't have a mix of taste, but it's very strong. It's very easy to yeah. notice it. I think it's, it's a single it's, taste. It's simple. Simple, yeah. The first one was kind of complicated. Yes, complicated. This one is Sleers is simple. Sleers is probably comparable to something like, almost like Glenfiddich or something. Like it's very, it's not subtle, but it's not bad. This is kind of. No. I think value for money, I would say that 
it is if I put it in the it reminds me of my the Japanese this cheap cheetah whiskey it smells better than that one mm. tastes similar and lighter I put it in that range mid range yeah yep. not really bottom of the barrel yep. but it's a good good yep. no good. It's, it's a good medium one day to day drink I like the bottle as well it's a very solid bottle oh yeah the cap I mean they have if you look at them they have some nice drawing yep. is it the is it a I'm not sure what it is. What is that? It is a, a weird. Goat, it has a goat, or is it like a wild? I'm not sure animal. what the other thing is though. What's the bit underneath it's it? Mountains or something? Oh, it's a goat jumping over the mountains or something? Maybe. Yeah, something like that, which is pretty good. Yeah. And the bottle is point seven. Solid. This is point seven. Yeah. Then then the last one was point five. It's yeah. the first time I had the point five. Yeah. It's 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 not bad. Not bad. I'm it's not bad. Good I think idea. it's kind of like the. the the, the the classic, if there was such a thing, the classic German whiskey. Yeah, what is that going to be if you no call idea. it <laughs> Scotch? If you call it Scotch, Glenfiddich, maybe standard. Ten years, maybe in that range, a Glenfiddich more common. So Twelve, and I think we read earlier they've been um, selling since two thousand and fifteen. Hmm. So that's um. Pretty good, actually. One thing you mentioned about the German whiskey that's kind of reminded me that you said it doesn't have a strong character. Like you say, if you go to Scotland... have a strong unifying character. Unifying. If you say Scotch, Scotch means something. But since that there's no whiskey tradition in Germany, maybe it is all these boutique whiskey makers, yeah. distilleries, they just bring in whatever they like and then maybe it gives yeah. that independent, more yeah. independent whiskey distilleries. Yeah. It gives them to experiment it with the... And, and when we get to the third one a bit later, I can. Mm -hmm. That's the one I've actually visited, and they yeah. definitely will come to it a bit more. But they definitely have a lot more um, experimentation. Okay. With, ah, okay, different talk, definitely. Hmm. Um, you know what, Mustafa? Yes. We haven't had a joke yet. Do you have a joke for us? Oh, so since we are talking, about, uh, we are tasting German whiskeys. Yeah. Let me tell you a joke I recently read. Okay, go on. So, this German family, okay. they have a baby. They have a baby. They have a baby boy. It's quite common. The yeah. kid, the baby is born. And the baby is born. The born, yeah, after he's oh, born. I mean, they, the baby, but never cries. So the family is a Sounds bit like surprised. A like a good kid. Okay, it's a good kid, I yeah. think. The baby doesn't cry, doesn't say anything. They're just a bit worried. So it just uh, drinks milk from the mummy's uh, nipples. And then, <laughs> and then doesn't say anything, just lies down and sleeps. So they were worried. So they take the baby to the doctor, pediatrician, I think, right? Baby doctor yeah. is pediatrician. Then the doctor checks the baby and I says, okay, the baby's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this one. I think you're lucky is you have a baby that doesn't cry. They, they go home and then the baby grows one year old, one year old, two years old, but doesn't, doesn't cry, doesn't complain, doesn't make any noise, doesn't speak. So they say, I guess this is the way it is. This kid is not going to speak. He's not going to cry. Yeah. So at age, then the kid arrives fifth years of age. And then they were celebrating the baby's son's uh, birthday. And then it is, since it is Germany, they have been drinking Pilsner beer. <laughs> then then Flammkuchen on the tables. They were Flammkuchen eating. is basically German ripoff of pizza. <laughs> pizza, <laughs> flat, flatbread pizza, Flammkuchen. <laughs> Vegetarian and with the pork uh, <laughs> bacon versions. Yeah. And then they were also having the Apfelstrudel, the apple cake. That's the German version of Apfelstrudel. And then the, the mother leans over the ear of the son and says, Oh, darling, are you enjoying your birthday party? Is everything all right? And the son, the first time in his life speaks, he says, Oh, 
the upper strudel is a little bit cold. And then the mother was really shocked. She says, oh my God, she says, we thought that you, you never spoke. You were mute. I mean, we, what happened all those years, five years? You didn't say a thing and you just spoke to the inside. What happened? What happened? The kid says, well, up until now, everything was very satisfactory. So there wasn't any reason for me to talk. So that was it. I mean, this isn't really a joke. This is more of a statement of the German psyche. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, if it is, even the kid, if everything is satisfactory, I mean, there's nothing to say about this it. This actually reminds me of, uh, the, there's, uh, this is getting a little bit uh, localized to where we are, okay. but there's, this, there's a whole group of these, um, you know, like in the UK and I think America, they have a witch magazine. Uh-huh. It's like consumer surveys and reports on like, oh, they'll do a witch a report on travel operators or ovens or whatever, mm-hmm. and they rate them. And there's a few of these in Germany. They're all called like test Zeiger, test something, etc. And whenever you see them on any product, uh-huh. all it ever says <laughs> is gut. 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 Sehr, Sehr gut. gut. And it's like, is that it? Good. Is that the whole variety? Oh, oh, oh. I, yeah, so, the con- <laughs> consumer rating sites. Yeah. But they have one star, two star, more. Uh, it's always just good. It's just like, good. How do you how do you tell good the difference between good and good? <laughs> and this makes me think of this. Is it's like it always reminds me of so. There's this Ritter chocolate as well, which uh-huh. is somewhat famous here, and uh, this is somewhat representative of German advertising. Their slogan is like quartered, practical, good value. Quartered. That's practical. Like quoted practically good value. Good That's value. it. That's it. And that it's like not that, that's not advertising. That's just a statement of fact. <laughs> and it, it's like we make me think of this ad. It's like well, why have you said anything? Like, I didn't need to. I didn't need to. I mean, <laughs> uh, why do you speak at all? I mean, there was no need. I mean, the food was there, the milk was there, and then I was warm. I was just my uh, my pampers. They were they were. Uh, like changed regularly. Yeah. So why should I complain? Yeah, I don't think this was a joke, Mr. <laughs> well, this was, I mean, this was, uh, I guess, if everything is all right, nobody complains. But if you think about this way, so I guess nobody is happy in Germany. Everybody is striking. I mean, no comment. Actually, there was a survey of the happiest countries in Europe, and Germany was quite low. <laughs> Ah, everybody's striking these days. I mean, there's yeah. the tractors last we week. We don't even have to fill in any background here because yeah. this has actually made international news. It's yeah. been on all the international news I listen to. Oh, no. The trains are not working these days. It's just like uh, horrendous it is. Yeah. I said, good Lord, I mean, just come on, people. So let's, let's, let's go for something a little more warming. Yes. We wanted to talk about books we'd finished. Books, yeah. You had one you wanted to talk about. Which one? I recently finished reading... George Saunders' Swim in the Pond in the Rain. It was a, I think it was a book about on writing, but mm-hmm. what uh, George Saunders did is that uh, he, I would call he, I don't, he analyzed five different short stories from the Russian authors, Chekhov, Tolstoy, and... Uh, why did he pick Russian? I don't know, because I think why he took is because they are at least 100 years old, so he doesn't have to pay for them, (laughs) for one of them. But they are also good. I mean, they are kind of the ultimate, uh, they perfected the short form. Chekhov Uh, has the classic uh, classic mechanic as well. Yeah, they they perfected the short story form. So that's why he used them. You read them first, and then he does this, the analysis of the story structure. And then one of them was, I think, from Gogol, I like his style, basically. That's pretty good. So 
I finished that book, but I started last November. Mm -hmm. And over the holidays, I binge drink, binge drunk, I would say the whiskey, so I didn't do much reading. So that was my first new year resolution. I said, okay, I guess let me finish this thing, which I already started. That's what I did last week. I read, read it, finished it. And the story that I like most in this one is, so this is a story about a story. No, or? yeah, this is, I mean, the nose from Nikolai Gogol, which I really like. Ah, I actually saw the nose at the Komish Opa. I don't know really? if I assume it might have been based on it's it. It's a yeah. Nikolai Gogol story. I mean, yeah, I think the story I, I think starts, so, yeah. Yeah, the story yeah. starts, you, one day you wake up and then your nose is not there and then it is as if something normal and then it is just flat. I mean, it is uh, the place that you have your nose, the guy's his face is, there's no nose. He doesn't really explain the mechanics of it. Okay, if you don't have a nose, can you breathe or not? He doesn't really go into those things. Then he just says, okay, the, where's my nose? And then he says, okay, what shall I do? If your nose is not there, what do you do? You, I guess the guy says, this is... You know what, Mustafa? What? He doesn't nose. He doesn't know. <laughs> oh, Christy, the pun joke. That's awesome. <laughs> I think you are getting infected by me in my sense of humor. It was pretty obvious. I wanted, it was an easy one to go for. Anyway, carry on, carry on. You were talking about something serious. Carry on. Yeah, no, it's not that serious. I like that. So then the story stand and the guy, okay, what do I do? He just said, okay, let me go to the newspaper and then give an ad. Okay, have you seen my nose? Yep. And then he was going to, and I said, okay, let me go to the police station and I can file that, okay, my nose is missing. And then while he was doing this one, he comes across his nose. Yes. Actually, he sees his nose, like it, but the story, the writer doesn't explain it. He says the, he's just a grown giant nose now, and then the nose kind of dismisses him. So in the comic <laughs> opera version uh -huh. of this, it was <laughs> the stage fills with a bunch of people dressed in nose costumes really? dancing. Oh. It was the weirdest thing ever. Oh, that's yeah. good. Actually, I think the story is yeah. they kind of maybe yeah. animated it real like the yeah. story. And then and in the another and the story starts actually not with him waking up not lo for losing his nose. Actually, the story starts with the barber. Actually, I forgot that the barber wakes up in the morning and then he wants to have a breakfast and then his wife asks him, hey, what do you want? And then he's like, okay, I just want to have uh, just bread. And then while he was eating his bread and then he finds a nose in his bread mm. and it doesn't explain how the nose ended up. And then the guy panics and says, oh my God, did I cut somebody's nose? And then it doesn't explain how it came. And then, so he says, okay, let me get rid of this freaking nose. So he wraps it in between a, a, like a, some cotton, dirty cotton, what do you call it is a name for it old ragged uh, piece oh, rags. of yeah, ragged okay. piece yeah, of yeah. cloth and then and then he runs outside and then he goes outside and then he throws it into the river on the river bank the police comes and then he say what the hell are you doing here and then the police interrogates him for hanging around the river not throwing something in that one and then story starts there so it is everything is absurd but yeah. The absurd world has its own logic. I think that's what Gogol yeah. made. Yeah. An absurd world, but it still makes sense in a way. And then yeah. he criticizes, the, I think, the time of how the Russian society operates at the time. Yeah. And wherever he goes, he goes to the newspaper. People were indifferent to him. The, the owner of the nose, they were indifferent to his uh, struggle. He goes to the police station, they dismiss him, okay, they think him as a, like, they don't care about him. So it was whole service yep. around that. Yep. There's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of this in um, Russian and even uh, ex-USSR literature. Ah. Um, 
you wanted to talk to me about this later, but um, my Hungarian friend told me about a, a board game where you basically, the entire game is um, the ridiculousness of queuing outside shops that don't have anything for sale, which is very <laughs> kind of ex-USSR era, you know. Ah, so they just <laughs> queue outside and... Yeah, even though you know there's not going to be anything when you get to the end of the line. <laughs> so what do they do? Like, they get in, they say, oh, there's I nothing, they it, get out? But or? it's a thread through a lot of, I think, uh, Russian and Russian influence literature. Oh, okay. The sort, of, the sort of ridiculousness and stupidity of the system sometimes. And Russian history is full of this kind of this kind of references because it's always been through some vehicle or another, one powerful person in control who tells everybody through series of control that they've never had it so good. And yet the normal person on the street is kind of like, I've never had it so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently they had a golden age, this uh, late 1800s. They had the golden age oh. in the Russian literature before the Bolshevik revolution. Mm. <laughs> And then Tolstoy and all these guys, they lived through that golden age of the Russian literature. There's also a classic one. I can't remember the name of the Russian. writer, but people often reference uh, 1984 and A Brave New World. Mm -hmm. Brave New World came out first. Okay. 1984 yeah. came out afterwards. So they're, they're two sides of a similar coin. So uh -huh. 1984 is uh, 1984, George Orwell's George George like yeah. oppression. Yes. And, and Brave New World is kind of the opposite in that it's hedonism, keeping the people yeah, under control. Yeah, sex orgies and drugs. Yeah, and Orwell wrote 1984 trying to contradict ah, okay. Aldous Huxley and then mm. ended up agreeing with him by the end of it. But oh. both of them actually take their influence from a Russian book called We. Really? Which came out in the 20s, I think. Uh, 1920s. So the tail end, I guess, of this the, era. That the Russian Revolution? 1970s or similarish time, just just before, just during before maybe like yeah, 1910, yeah. maybe 1917, okay, something like that. like that. Okay, so it's 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 that kind of era, and that one is. I've tried to read it, and the problem with translations is you're always a little yeah. bit at the whim of the translator. But I think um, Russian literature is is sort of renowned for. I don't know about now these days, but in the past especially. Yeah, and then their golden age was around the yeah. late 1800s. Yeah. And what was it actually you mentioned that they, when you do the translation, George Saunders, he was saying, okay, you lose all these, yep. the word plays yep. and then yep. the, the lyrics or yep. the, the rhythm of the language. Yep. That's why it's very tricky, but still yep. you get the meaning, but you lose... Some yeah. of those. And Russian things. is a language with very particular rhythms. Yeah. Apparently, it has that uh, particular rhythms. And I remember this. I learned <laughs> a lot of French uh, through <laughs> reading Asterix and Tintin. <laughs> oh, I and, love and, those. And Tintin, not so much, but Asterix, Asterix is very different in French. It has a lot more sex jokes, which, oh, considering okay. it's a quote unquote kids' comic. Um, but I also didn't realize they changed a lot of the names of the characters to be funny. Obviously, oh. Asterix and Obelix are always the same. Oh, okay. And I remember a German friend telling me that the German, coming back to your joke, the German character names are not very funny. Oh, good They think luck. the English ones are much funnier. Okay. Um, I guess maybe just because more Germans speak English than French, so they've read the English ones. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, but I remember reading the French ones and thinking, this is very different. Wow. <laughs> you speak French then? 
Or? Uh, up until a certain point, I learned French and German for the same amount of time, but I don't mm. really use my French very much. No, oh, okay. but I, I learned a lot of it through comics. It's actually, so you can comics. understand the comics then. Well, this is a while ago. But so yeah. I find the comics language, especially in German, harder to understand because oh. they use a lot of colloquial sayings. Well, that's why the, they're good. It's very difficult. France also has a very big history of comics. Uh, the mm -hmm. Bon Dessin. Ah. Uh, so there's a couple of quite classic French comics like Spirou and obviously Tintin, which is Belgian, but and Asterix. They have quite a history of comics, actually. I see. Interesting, because yeah. we also have a very strong comics tradition in Turkey. That kind of reminds me of where did we get it? And most probably, mm. we received it from the French. You, you will even, in a lot of comic stores, say here, mm -hmm. you will find, obviously, comics in German and in English, but you'll often find them in French as well, because ah. it's got its own kind of unique scene that oh. is quite unique to, to France. Now we are on the topic of uh, comics, I think... The most comical comics are Asia. I think Japan. They have. When I was in Japan, yeah. I saw these bookstores. Yeah. Literally everything was comic books. They're quite different. Interesting. It's an yeah. entire bookstores. I think it is. That's the biggest comic. There's book. even one here. I think there There's, is a manga comic store somewhere on yeah. Kashka, I think close by to Kashka, I remember maybe there's more than one then. <laughs> uh, maybe more. I think there's one. Uh, anyway, we're talking about places that people aren't necessarily going to know. So, but. Yeah. But anyway, back to the book. What is the book you recently finished reading? I just finished two. I take a little while. I tend to read more than one book at a time. Okay. I tend to read one fiction, one nonfiction, and oh. also one physical, whereas the rest I tend to be reading on a, an e-reader. Ah, okay. You. So I just finished two, and I've nearly finished another one, but it's not quite finished. Hmm. I read uh, a book called This Is Your Brain on Music, okay. which is uh, written by a musician-producer turned... Um, oh brain science i'm not sure okay. what the word is but and so he he's became very interested to analyze like what happens to the brain on music and the patterns that you know there's this kind of universal music language that kids have kids like to dance how comes despite all the different human languages mm -hmm. there's still a commonality in music and despite some differences there's still a lot of commonality and i've learned this from teaching music ah. i can speak to a room of people from very different places and use references that everyone will understand ah, okay. because even though, you know, music has become this strange thing. There was a quote in the book from someone I can't quite remember. Well, when you talk about evolutionary theory, no one can really explain the point of music, <laughs> but every culture has it. Every, every culture, culture kind of values it to a certain extent. And it has a lot of very base triggers in the brain. Okay. Even though evolutionary speaking, no one can really understand why we have it. <laughs> There's a certain connection to like mating rituals and things, but it's very... It's more worshipping as well, I think. There are yeah. a lot of traditions or a lot of yeah. rituals that include... Yeah. So that was an interesting book. Okay. And then I also just finished a book I got from a book swap. I can't remember the... But before you jump to the oh, second yeah. book, can I ask you, you yourself a musician, right? Yep. As I know. Yeah. But you did some uh, bass guitar playing as well, right? Uh, with a uh, six-string rhythm guitar six and drumming, yeah. So is that why you were into this book? You were drawn into yeah, this book? Yeah, I guess it was on my list. Ah, I, okay. I can't remember how exactly, but it was. it's a book that is fairly well-known in the kind okay. of music-slash-pop science space. Okay. It's pretty easy to understand. It's not that long. So it, you recommend them? It's a good book. Yeah, it's okay. interesting. I found it interesting. Um he also made me think about some musicians in different ways. You know, there's a few older musicians that as the years have gone on, you tend to dismiss. Mm -hmm. And then when someone explains to you kind of why they're clever, you start thinking about them in a different way. So one of the ones he mentioned in there particularly 
Well, this is actually something I've, I've taken into a lot of the classes I've been teaching. There's a lot of patterns in music. Patterns. We have expectations because okay. we are used to mm-hmm. hearing something a particular way. And clever musicians are very good at playing with those expectations. Oh, You're okay. expecting a beat to go a certain way and it does something slightly different and it surprises you. And that's something we enjoy as humans. Like the major and the minor chords? Or... Sort of, or even okay. rhythms and things. Okay, you know, rhythms, some will okay. play with it ever so slightly uh-huh. and it surprises you in a pleasant way. Ah, in a pleasant way, not yeah, a bad because surprise. Because the human brain likes to be surprised. Oh, okay. It's like a little bit more like a humor, I guess, right? Yeah, in, in some respects, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, So one of the ones he mentioned was Sting, who in police, you know, in his solo career is, depending who you speak to, is either amazing or a bit, I can only think of a very Australian word, daggy, like (laughs) kind of a bit like old fashioned and not so cool kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then actually it's interesting because when someone explains why someone is good at what they do and you kind of think, huh. And even if you don't like the music, you have a bit of respect for them. So Sting as is a bass player, and wow. he apparently actually plays bass notes in very unexpected ways, which okay. is, you know, when you're just listening, you don't really know why something sounds different. And then when someone explains it, it doesn't mean you necessarily like it anymore or less, but you yeah. can appreciate it. And so, for example, one of my favorite drummers was, because mm-hmm. he's now dead, unfortunately, Charlie Watts from the Rolling yeah. Stones. It was also very similar. Mm-hmm. He plays in a rock band. Okay. Because he was a jazz drummer. Ah. He does things in a very different way. Different. Uh, which is actually what makes the Rolling Stones not sound like every other kind of rock and blues ah, band. Ah, that's why the jazz. Uh, because they have a slightly different feel. Flavor, okay. Mostly through him. And this is an interesting, um, interesting thing. It, it, a lot of it feeds into those aspects of sometimes to break the rules, it's useful to know them. Um. And it's why I started relearning as well, because when you teach yourself, you get to a certain point where you mm-hmm. kind of reach a wall. Oh, yeah. And uh, then going and actually learning and understanding what you were doing before kind of helps you open up again. Anyway. Interesting. So, so can we say the book kind of underlines, of the, underlines the fact yeah. that I will use a cliche word, music is the universal language of human beings. It's not as universal as you may think, and you could actually attest to this, I assume. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming Turkish music is similar in that, for example, in a lot of Western music, you have tones and semitones. Yeah. A lot of Arabic and Indian music also has quarter tones. Yeah, in Turkish, is, well, I think we have way more tones yeah. between. Which is quite interesting. That's something ah. that... I'd sort of knew about from like a prog rock guitarist in the West. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then you learn in many cultures, it's a, it's not a, just an experimental thing. It's a normal thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, there are certain uh, Turkish rock uh, guitar players. They use unfretted guitar yeah. to get yep. those all these yep. notes in yep. between. Yep. And they have a very different sound. I'm not the other one, but it's kind I of interesting. I was this by um, a guy from um, Jordan. Uh-huh. And he was in America, but because a lot of Western music instruments don't have the quarter tones, okay. this guy had invented like a box mm-hmm. you could plug your guitar and your keyboard into mm-hmm. so you could get a quarter tone on the <laughs> note you were playing, which is kind of, <laughs> it was kind of inventive, you know, uh, I'm taking my culture to another culture so you can do this kind of thing. Nice. And on a guitar, you can kind of do it, but on a keyboard or something. It's much easier. Yeah, well, because a guitar, you just bend the string basically and you oh, get yeah. a quarter note, but... Yeah. Anyway. And then the other book was uh, called Calculating Stars. It reminded me a little bit, there's a TV series I quite like, and I'm really looking forward to starting the next, the new season. 
called For All Mankind. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the space race, but slightly different. And it starts from a historical fact and then just changes a few things here and there. Hmm. And this book was kind of like that. It's non-fiction? It's fiction. It's fiction, but it's based on a lot of fact. Ah, okay. Um, and this book was similar-ish in that it takes place in the 1950s. Okay. And a, a meteor hits the east coast of America. Okay. Wiping out Washington and a whole bunch of the east coast. Oh, wow. Okay. But, of course, it also accelerates like a environmental climate change, basically. Oh, okay. So they realize the world is going to become uninhabitable in the next 10 to 20 years. Hmm. We need to have a plan. So this accelerates the space race to find a new planet. Find basically. a new planet outside of. Okay. But it's a very uh, feminist fiction because the 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 narrator is um, a woman who was a fighter pilot during World War Two. Okay. Well, I know the Russians had female pilots. I'm not sure if the Americans ever did, so I'm not sure if that's true or not. But it was true in the Russians anyway. Um, and of course, like many many women during World War Two, they were given roles. And then when the war finished, it was kind of like, now go back to what you did before, please. And the women <laughs> really? were like, but we just proved ourselves. Why? What? You know, and this book kind of builds on that. Oh. The, the thing I found interesting about it is was like, because someone told me it was a feminist, like science fiction book, I was actually expecting it to be stronger uh. than it was. And I'm not sure if that's also because it takes place in the 1950s still when, you know, feminism hasn't really taken root yet. Um, so it was an interesting book, but I was kind of left, got to the end, expecting it to be a bit more. And also the crisis never feels that bad. Ah, okay. Like so. The planet's going to, you know, end in 20 years, but it never felt very... Urgent. Or urgent. No. <laughs> so it was a weird book. It wasn't, so they kept on doing barbecues? Or? No, not quite, but no. it wasn't bad. It ah. just, I, I kind of expected it to be a bit stronger on its main themes, but maybe that was intentional. Maybe that was intentional. Yeah, I think but, that's kind of yeah. the magic of the writing yeah, fiction, exactly, right? Yeah. It is the tension has to be there so that but then it has to also move forward so that you keep breathing. I think one thing that George Saunders mentioned in the book is that that does the book take the reader as if you're riding on a motorcycles, you know, they used to have in the old days a basket next to the motorcycle. Psycho, yeah. Psycho, and then so the reader has to be next to the characters and they just follow through them. Yeah. If the book does that, that means a successful book. Yeah. So yeah. did that do that, this book, or not? You felt like... Um, hmm. It's an interesting analogy trying to think about. Do you feel like you're on a journey with the protagonists? It's an interesting analogy, but I kind of feel mm. like the book would have to be very bad to not feel like you were doing that. Ah, okay. I guess the question is, do you like going along? Ah, okay. You know, there's many books you go along with the protagonist and you don't like them. I mean, you don't have to like the protagonist, yeah. but you still wonder what will happen next. So you're still, you sit next to them and then you just follow their, if it is a dire situation ending or is it a good ending? I think end? I found this book but fairly predictable. Ah, okay. Strangely. It wasn't so maybe not surprising, okay. Like that musical note which you mentioned, yeah. it didn't surprise. It didn't give you the notes that surprised you, right? Yeah, I think the things that were most surprising is kind of what happened to her, mm-hmm. what people said, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to take place in the 1950s. So if you take it in historical context, it's less surprising. But even in a modern context, mm-hmm. some of it wasn't surprising. You know, oh, when they finally appoint some female astronauts. All they're really let to do is just like do stupid things for the press. Ah, the Lord. 
you know so it, it, when you read it it doesn't surprise you unfortunately but it's not because you know it doesn't surprise you but it doesn't surprise you in a in a <laughs> i'm gonna say a good and a bad way because it's bad because it shouldn't be like that but it's good because that's what you expect of the book uh, because that's what it's about kind of thing mm. you know well, you expect it that to happen because okay. it's the 1950s and it's women, so you expect that to happen. Okay, fair They're enough. Get I guess. Badly, but know. maybe within its context, it was more like a. I mean, when you put a book as a feminist book, I think then it takes a lot of from the value of the book. It sets a certain expectation. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I wonder you, how many times an author set. I don't know if the author necessarily set out to do that. It's often what the the, yeah, the critics the critics will label say. It as but you say it was a sci-fi movie. Maybe the book was more like a sci-fi movie. You should read it like a more sci-fi, a very light sci-fi, light sci-fi. Okay, you know, it just it's like that's why I said it's like for all mankind, mm. in that these technologies exist. But they didn't exist in the 1950s. Ah, okay. They existed in the 1960s. 60s, 70s, uh, 70s, yeah. like 70s. Yeah. 20 years later. So they land on the moon in 1959 or, or something as opposed 69, to... 1969, I think. 68. That's what I'm saying, in this book. Ah, uh, in this book. Ah, okay. <laughs> in this book, okay. So, you know, it's okay. like 10 years ahead, basically. Ah, 10 That's years ahead, okay. Yeah. It's like near future science yeah. fiction, maybe. Yeah. You've got okay. a second book there, must have. So the second book is... Uh, this is... I haven't read it yet. Hopscotch is called from... I haven't read it yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, who wrote this one? Vintage Classics. Basically, this was Julio Cortazar wrote the book. Oh, name is familiar. And yeah. I think I was... Uh, I don't know why I ordered this one, but I, when I started... <laughs> read, I read the first part and then the book says, okay, there are two ways to read this book. So first says, is okay, you read, there are hundreds... 31 sections or something, a lot of sections in the book. Yeah. So you read first part of the book until chapter 56, like all this uh, section 56. And then after that, it has this numbers, the okay. reading order. So <laughs> it hell? kind of gives you a way, like you create your own story kind of a reading. It's, that's a, it's fascinating. A very, that's why I think I took this book, like you create your own story as you read different sections in different order. And wow. then I haven't read it yet, but... 1963. Okay. This is really interesting because it leads a little bit into what you were saying to me when I got here. What was it? So this makes me think of a kind of an, an early version of, because it's 1960s mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. books I'm referring to came out in the 80s. Yes. But also a sort of more artistic version maybe of the old Choose Your Own Adventure books. Ah, uh, okay. Where you'd be like, turn to page here, flip yes, back here, flip yeah, back Yeah, yeah, so a little like a puzzle thing. Yeah, which are having a little bit of renaissance yeah. and feeds into, you know, my love of games. Yeah. But, um, but it's a different sequence. So the story will take certain paths, you just have some choice over it. Yeah, it's kind huh. of every end of the section. You read this linearly up until end of first uh, 54 chapters. And after that, you read the, the you read the first fifty uh, seventh, and it jumps you to like some section, it's and then you yeah. it is kind of interesting. Then you it's a bit stylistically experimental, I yeah. guess. I always like this kind of idea. Yeah, and that's why I like this idea. And then I was recently thinking of writing my what is it journals into some sort of a book, yeah. and I had this one okay, journal entry. What if I make the book to what is it the covers like front cover and back cover. You can read the book first, uh, it's an yeah. increasing date, but if you want to read it backwards, yeah. that is the second cover. You can read it uh, like from right to left as well, so then you yeah. have different feelings. Yeah. If you read a journal, let's say, 
going into the future or you read it backwards from future back into the yeah. old past. It gives you different tastes. I actually, uh, this, I like books like this. There's another one. It's one of the few books, I physical books I mm-hmm. brought with me from Australia because it's so um, unique. It's called The Ship of Thebes, I think. It's actually... Uh, Thieves. No, Thebes, this one. Thebes. Or Leaves. I can't quite mm-hmm. remember. It's um, it's a project from J.J. Abrams, the, okay. the film and TV director, mm-hmm. under a pen name. I don't know who actually wrote it, but he kind of produced it. Okay. And it comes in like an old um, box. This is why I kept it. And it's <laughs> okay. supposed to look like an old library book. It has a sticker on it and everything. And you open it, and there's the story. And then the book has been passed backwards and forwards between two people. Mm -hmm. And they're also having a conversation in the margins. Mm -hmm. And then there's also like bits of paper they've put inside. Mm -hmm. And so there's basically there's kind of these four, three or four narratives all happening at the same time. Ah, Uh, And it's it's quite strange because you're not really sure which story you're following. And if the story is interconnect or something like Uh. that, it's quite interesting, but... I like the, you know, that there's these ways you can make something as old-fashioned as a book. Yes. Something with things printed on it and still do novel things. Creative things, right? That's yeah. really good to see. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Uh, that's why I think I bought this one. But hopefully that is in my this year's uh, book yeah. reading list. And when I finish it, maybe I can finish it until our next uh, session. How do you know when you finished it? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> if you could take your own journey through the book, how do you know when you've got to the end? Well, there's an end and there's oh, okay. a, the, the reading <laughs> section. There's an, it says uh, 131 is the last uh, okay, all right. section. Okay, okay. Finish it. So I've been an editor's nightmare. God. Yeah, it is kind of going to be interesting read. So I'm really excited to read that book. All right. So we'll see. Let's take a little break, Mustafa, and we'll yeah, come back 19. to our last third in a minute. Okay. Are we back? Yeah, what are we drinking now, Mustafa? Now, this is one you don't know so much. I think this is one of your favorites, Chris. Well, it's one of my favorites, but it's, uh, it has memories. Stork. This is the bird, right? That stork is the is the bird, right? That long-legged uh, yeah, it's bird? The, it's the bird on the label, Mustafa. On the, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bird on the label. It's That's quite... It's, it's, so it's not a very expensive whiskey, and it definitely is a very sharp smell. Produced in Berlin, right, you said? Brandenburg, which is the area just outside of Berlin. Oh, we can't say them Brandenburg, right? Brandenburg and Berlin, they are different. So it's a very strong alcoholic smell. Even though it's quite yeah, weak. Yeah, very, very medicinal smell. Hmm. Although it's a smoother taste than the smell, strangely. It hits the nose. Mm. It hits the nose, and this is a rye. It's an American style. Ah. And this is what we were talking about earlier. So Stork is one of these kind of, I mean, all the German distilleries are modern, but it acts like a modern distillery. Mm-hmm. If you go there, it's very hip, even though it's in the weirdest place where there's nothing else hip around. Uh, it would be very in place if it was in the inner city or something. They have a bar. They'll have, they have cans as well. They sell of like premix whiskey and uh, oh. ginger um, they have a lot of different whiskies. This is kind of their, probably their low end one, but they also have like a very strong rye. They also have one that's more like a mix between scotch and uh, bourbon. So it's a very kind of, it's a place that tries to be cool. And 
they get their stuff in a few bars around Berlin, but I'm not sure if they've been as successful at that as they would have wanted, I guess, because again, they're small, but that's their kind of, that's their kind of vibe anyway. It's a bit stronger than I expected. Maybe the first two ones a bit they are softer and mellower. Yeah. This one is but reminds as, me. But oh, as I said to you, this is nearly half the price yeah. of the Sliers. This is so, yeah. So. This is borderline, yeah. I would say, cocktail whiskey kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I definitely, it's, definitely. Yeah, it's a cocktail whiskey. I think as a cocktail whiskey, it is pretty good. Drinking straight, it's okay. I have to be really. That will not be my first go to drink. No. But it's out of all the German whiskies, especially in Berlin, it's probably the easiest one to find. Yeah, that, you're right, actually. So you can find it in a lot of um, uh, kind of more interesting liquor stores. You can find it in a lot of the um, kind of like Berlin gift stores. Ah, okay. And maybe Duty Free, they have this at the... Yeah, probably. Also, they have like Brulo and stuff like that. It's like that kind of uh, um, accessible craft everyone's whiskey well not really but you know it's like it's not mainstream but it's accessible non-mainstream ah accessible (laughs) quality yeah but okay yeah that kind of thing you will Mm. probably find it in the airport and stuff like that it kind of burns around my tongue which Mm. is interesting the other ones i didn't have that feeling maybe we have been drinking for a while now yeah but it is it burns the tongue not like the it hits the nose a little bit it's it's, it's it, okay. I, think, I think you're right. It's probably a good... And when we were there in summer, the cans of the ginger ale and whiskey, oh, that was really good. Oh, was I think good. this is my similar to my go-to Japanese whiskey style. Like, yeah. I am repeating myself, chita. Yep. It's like my day-to-day chita whiskey. Kind exactly, of and it's a very day-to-day price as well. So, mm. yep. Perfect, and I yep. think that's great, I think. And they, they, have a, they have different types. That's the other thing. They have a lot more types, whereas I think Sleers only has the one type, maybe... Sleer has a lot of different types. Okay. Actually, when you mentioned that I wanted to buy online, ah. they had a variety of them, and I couldn't decide which ah, okay. one to buy. Okay, maybe we this can. This is the one you normally only see, whereas Stork you will see ah, at least okay. three or four in a lot of the flavors. Stores. Or what is the difference in the Stork? Just different styles. Like, so they have a more Scotch style. Ah, okay. They have one that's a mix of the two. They have a very dark one. So they are still trying to find their identity. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's the place that I mentioned, I think, in a previous episode where we went on a tour of. Um, it's quite a nice place to visit during very, COVID. Well, yeah, just after things opened after, up. After COVID, so it's very, very modern. You can even do a day trip there if you wanted to, which is probably recommended because yeah, the area where it is is not that interesting. So <laughs> ah, it's like uh, how how long did the trip take? The I distillery visit? an hour maybe an hour. Is oh, the trip. trip uh, in the distillery. A couple of hours, but getting there is an hour, so you could do a day trip. Oh, okay then. That's a train be. and then a bus. Where was it? Downstairs? Storkover? Where was it? It's in Spreewald. Spreewald. Um, okay. Schlepzig. Schlepzig. Hmm. Yeah. There oh, you go. That's good. That's it's fine. fine. It's reasonable. It's good. Yeah. I mean, even the cap, if you look at it, it as a rotating cap. Unlike, oh, is it all rotating, right? Yeah. It, oh, it comes out. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. Okay. Yeah. It is rubber. It's acceptable. Acceptable. It's they acceptable. are all rubber, actually. They don't use that anymore, the old style. <laughs> it's good, it's good, it's good. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a reasonable one. It's nice and light to end on. You it. know, the stork is the one, that bird that brought the babies, right? Is that the bird? Yeah, actually, in the town, the town where it's mm-hmm. made, storks are a big deal because they're not that common. Uh-huh. And on the lampposts and things like that, they actually have stork nests and they keep ah. a count of how many eggs were found and stuff like that. Really? 
I mean, these are the storks used to be from my childhood. They are these migrating birds. Yeah. They right. used to come in uh, summertime or something spring, and then they leave around the autumn. Mm. It's kind of, and then they say, oh, the storks, they bring the baby. Yep. As a kid, they say, oh, mommy, how did I, how was I born? So I can tell you a joke, actually. So do you want to okay. hear a joke? Go on, Mustafa. So this little kid goes to his mom, and she, her mom, and she says, hey, mommy, how was I born? And then... The mama says, well, darling, she says, you know, uh, once one day when we were young, uh, daddy found a little precious seed and then he put it into the ground. Mommy watered this special seed and then it turned into it sprouted, it turned into this nice plant. And then mommy and daddy, they took care of this plant. It grew. And then after that, they gave it some, uh, what is it, the... Fertilizers, okay. it just grow and then it turned into it blushed and then it, it had these beautiful flowers and then one day mommy cut this plant and then they dried it and then and then mommy and daddy they rolled the joint out of it, they smoked it and then they fucked without condom. <laughs> Sorry, they, they had sex without condom. <laughs> That's how we made you. I was really wondering where this was going. Was like, this is a very convoluted story. <laughs> so, how was I made? So that's, that was a, the long and common story of making a baby. <laughs> that is, I think we need to be smoking more and then making more love and then making more babies. <laughs> there's, a, there's a strong difference of opinion on that. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Before we get too too deep into this topic, okay. I reckon we should, we should backpedal about Okay, okay. <laughs> Mustafa, on the subject of smoking too much weed, Ed, <laughs> how was your holidays? Chris, I like writing, like I keep a journal. Every Saturday we meet at the Shut Up and Write, and I have been keeping a journal last uh, three, four years, and I was going through what, I, what did I write <laughs> recently, and I said, oh, what did I do during the holidays? And I wrote this, all these things, and I said, oh, I, watch, I drank a lot of whiskey, I smoked weed, and I masturbated a lot. And then I said, oh, I think this is a very vulgar word, masturbation. Is there another way of saying it nicer? Like, is there an euphemistic way of saying it? And then it got me into this rabbit hole. I did a couple of Google searching. <laughs> and then I found different ways of saying masturbation. Or Please tell me one involves a rabbit hole because that's... <laughs> so, so that was, <laughs> not, it doesn't have any rabbit hole thing. So, I mean, but what I learned is that... <laughs> There are, there are different euphemisms for male masturbation and female masturbation. You do surprise me. So do you want to hear some of them? Not really, but go for it. So. Okay, I mean, so something that I found is a, so scratching the Yoda behind the ears. So okay, it's is a contemporary. This a, it is this a male or female studies. masturbation? Let me ask you. What do you think? Uh, probably female. No, this was kind a male. Of either, really. Though. It was a male masturbation, yeah. so scratching the other behind the ears. Yeah, I guess, I said, I guess wrinkled and ugly. Wrinkled, yeah. but it is also, I guess, hairless. I guess that's why. I don't know but why. Don't, okay, Mr. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> what I like is the, the dotting the eye, for example. What do you think? It's a, it's a male, I guess, masturbation, female, right? Yeah, female. it's a male. No, it's a male what? masturbation. Okay, right, yeah, dotting the eye, like... Okay. For example, taking a self-guided tour. So apparently this is a female. Where did you get these from? Ah, uh, it's just good old Google, man. I mean, <laughs> it is still really good. What I like about uh, female masturbation is, uh, what is it? Feeding the bearded clam. And I said, hmm, that is a pretty 
Great way of saying, okay, I touch myself, I think. Uh, Double-clicking the mouse. Also it's a relatively recent, I suppose. Very recent. Nulling the void. That one is weird. That's weird. It's quite dark. Dark, but orbiting Venus is kind of, <laughs> okay. But what I like is that softening the peach, I guess, with the soft touches, I guess. And gilding the lily. Building the lily, yeah. Building the lily. I think that one is. What else? Uh, drilling for oil. Drilling for oil. Sourcing taco. I mean, I found the female uh, masturbation euphemisms much better than the male ones. I, I wonder who wrote these. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Some of them do feel, kind of feel like they're written by a man. I must admit. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, most probably. Yeah. Like the male ones are tapping into one's own potential. So that, no, I like that. Freddie for you, really. Huh? I tapped into my own potential this weekend. Oh, good. What did you do? I mean, based <laughs> I on the lead into this conversation, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's always true. <laughs> <laughs> well, giving oneself a hand, I think, is very self-explanatory. Yeah. <clears throat> so these were the kind of... Uh, it's like, and you, you were telling me, uh, because these are obviously all in English, but you were mentioning a couple of ones in <laughs> Turkish. Translated, of course. The Turkish one is very interesting. I mean, I learned the first... Thing when I was in the secondary school, I think when I was 13 or 14, it is called pulling at 31. And I don't know what it means. It, the number 31, it, it is the only number 31 I know is the calendar, but I guess, does that mean you stroke yourself 31 rounds? That's why until you finish. So this pulling at 31 means masturbation in Turkish. And another one is more like... Uh, Slapping the private. I mean, that one is reasonable. Yeah, like slapping. I think the English equivalent is beating the meat. Uh, you could probably. This is actually something that the the pretty much the only reason I was willing to talk about this <laughs> is because it starts to say some interesting things about language and how you can combine certain words and said a certain way, they will just sound like something. Yeah. So you know, you could say popping the cork, squeezing the lemon. Uh, tapping the microphone. Okay. And just because of the context and the way I say them, they all sound a bit like masturbation. Naughty or squeezing yeah, exactly. the lemon. What does it mean like squeezing? Who knows what it means, but it doesn't have to mean anything. Because you, the way you say it and the way you emphasize words. In the and, context. And especially oh. with British English, um. you can get away with these kind of cheeky phrases a lot more. And it actually makes me think like uh, one of my other favorites is you can almost add ed on the end of uh -huh. any word, and it sounds like you're getting drunk. Really? So like, I'm getting mustafood. Okay. You're I'm getting, getting lemon. You know, you can just do these weird things, and everyone finds it, f not necessarily finds it funny, but funny. kind of it sounds like something else very easily. Yeah, I think those are the things which kind of uh, reminds me, okay, it gives you a little surprise element, and that kind of our brains likes it, like that the unexpected notes mm -hmm. in the musical, mm. and the language has that value i think a good yeah. literature good humor which is why you use things that are the most unlikely so i think i know another reference euphemism i think like uh i think something like stroking the bishop or something like that <laughs> stroking like, the also, bishop. again it's a bishop so it's yeah. kind of funny you know it's funny that's not something a bishop should be doing so, <laughs> you, know, so it's funny um yeah i don't know yeah, language is i think really great that's what i like about reading these books if the book or the, the text that I'm reading has this sense of humor and then yep. a bit of surprise effect. And 
I really get joy in that kind of reading, and yeah. that is maybe the, what drew me. Not even funny. It's just like how a good writer can combine some words to give a feeling, mm-hmm. and without even really those words making sense, you can kind of picture it or feel it or whatever. You know, hmm. it's, good. it's the power of good linguists of making something, and you kind of go, "Ah, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it." So that hmm. was what I did during the holidays. <laughs> A lot of uh, self, uh, what is it, helping. How about you, Chris? What what have you done? <laughs> a lot of self-healing. Oh, yeah. Healing or I wouldn't, healing and helping. I can say this without it sounding like a euphemism. <laughs> I uh, rolled some dice. No. I, yeah, you uh, rolled some dice. I moved some things around my board. Okay, I, uh, <laughs> you moved something around your board. I drew a card. You drew a card. I uh, Anyway, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Usually in most of my downtime, and Mustafa said to me today when I told him what I've been doing on afternoon, is like, why are you doing kids things? I play a lot of board games. Ah, uh, yes. I didn't say that why do you do kid things. I said, okay, thing. as a grown man, I think I've, you are playing a lot of games and mm. it is that common in maybe Turkish culture, to be honest. Oh, I mean, it, that's it, why it actually is. is, but I think it tends to be more classic. Classic, okay. Chess or maybe you call it char, I'm yeah. not sure. Board games is like a group activity, right? You play those games, a couple of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I do quite a lot. There's a, actually a very big, we are circling back into German things again. Okay. Without even planning. Okay. Uh, Germany has a very big culture of board games. Okay. They actually mostly, unfortunately, come from probably war games. Okay. Most uh, modern board games come from a history of war games, usually around the Napoleonic era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Germany has a big a history. War games. It comes from war games. Yeah, and I oh, think okay. in the more recent history, Germany wanted to downplay the war element mm-hmm. for reasons. Okay. So they kind of reinvented board games in a more family-friendly way, oh, less okay. aggressive. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the 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 classic modern era watershed moment is something like Settlers of Catan, mm-hmm. which is a German designer. The guy actually died last year. Who made oh, it? God bless him. Um, if he lived in. But there's many, many others as well. And America is also a big industry. Um, but it's it has been something of a renaissance probably since Catan, this kind of adult games, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk about board games, a lot of people will think of things like Monopoly or Cluedo or Clue or whatever you call it. Monopoly, I think I played it a long time ago. Yeah, the- but the thing is with a lot of these classic games mm-hmm. that people think are from their youth, Monopoly is the classic example uh-huh. in that it is completely random. Oh, okay. People think there is a strategy and there is no strategy to Monopoly. It's luck. Luck, right? It's completely luck. And you throw the dice. And- exactly. And um, so a lot of the more modern Euro games, as mm-hmm. they called, the German-style games originally, were all about eliminating luck as much as possible and being purely about sort of equal strategy. And this is kind of the modern era of, of, of games, basically. Oh. And they're they're quite popular. I mean, in comparison to something like video games, it's still small, but they are popular. And I spend a lot of time doing them because I like to get away from a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. They're just easy, sociable ways of hanging out with people and doing things. And I don't always enjoy every game I play. Or I don't always enjoy the people I play with all the time. But I have, I would say... Uh, most of my friend group here is probably split between people from the writing group mm-hmm. and people from games groups. Yeah. 
And some of them cross over as well. Does these board games help you in your writing, like creating a story structure? Uh, not the board games so much. I also do a lot of role play games. The classic uh-huh. is like Dungeons and Dragons, of course, uh-huh. where that will give me ideas because you are basically improvising. You know, uh-huh. we've both done uh, improv and theater yes. as well. In fact, I am now taking a theater class that Mustafa told me about with a <laughs> yes. teacher who comes to our writing group. So it all gets very, uh, so that will give me ideas because you're of, often improvising with characters in a situation. Mm. And then sometimes you think, I really like this character. That's and there have been some short stories I've written based on a character I played in a game because I really liked the character. Mm-hmm. But actually it's probably the opposite in that I, and also a few other people in the writing group, write things for those games. Ah, okay. Um it's probably more the, like uh, board games are very rules based and very structured, uh-huh. and the theme tends to be a little secondary. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like a role play game, the story is foremost, and the mechanics are often a vehicle for just introducing risk into ah, the story. Okay. If you imagined you have uh, you did improv, yes, um, but instead, yeah. you know, often with improv, someone might suggest a prompt. But what if every time you did something and you said, I'm going to turn left, and someone in the audience said, "Uh, but will you turn left? I'm going to flip a coin. Yes. And if heads, you don't turn left. This, you know, Ah, that's a very simple example, but imagine improv, but with risk every time you took an action kind of thing. Ah. That's sort of, um, and I enjoy them. You enjoy it's good for your imagination. It's good one, man. Uh, is it okay if I join you one of your Dungeon and Dragon stage? Just as a, I want to be a fly on the wall and then observe it. Because I am, maybe this year is one of other my prejudice. I want to overcome my prejudices. As I said, oh, no, why are you yeah, a grown yeah. man? Why do you play games like yeah. kids? But yeah. that made me realize, now that you mentioned it, I think there is way I, more I to that. I actually have a perfect group for you. There's a Sunday evening one where we sometimes meet. And the guy who runs it is runs a very, very friendly and fun game so it's uh i don't want to play i mean, i just want to observe be a fly on the wall interesting that would be i no, just no. want to observe you play it and then uh, that's more like me i don't know how interesting that would be Mustafa. I no know. it will be i like observing people i uh, think people watching and then yeah. because it is good to see what excites people and then realize it's that. interesting you say that though about hmm. uh not necessarily prejudice but doing different things this year Mm-hmm. This is maybe almost like a nice, like, home straight topic. Okay. <laughs> it's something that I am also doing. This is why I took the theater classes. Yes. I used to do theater when I was younger, but I want to do mm-hmm. something new. My wife and I are going to take some painting classes. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted to uh, force the two of us into oh. some... Um, well, together you do as a couple? No, or? not necessarily, but oh. I, either separately and to, actually more yeah. separately, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. to do... Different things. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. Do you have any others you want to do? I don't want, I don't want to talk about news resolutions because I find that a bit artificial. But yeah, if you say resolution, like, yeah. I think it puts too much pressure yeah. on it, I think, yeah. because that means... Uh, I, is there anything else? Uh, I mean, to be honest, Chris, this is the year which I am... I literally have zero desire to do anything this year. I don't know what it is. And I mentioned this to a friend and she said, you know, in France... In the old days, when you have this farm field, they used to farm it one year and then rest it the next year. I follow, yes. Yeah, they said maybe this, you can take it as a, your rest year and then maybe don't rush it. And then, but most probably, there are a couple of things at the back of my head, which I mentioned to you. I think this podcast is really great. I really enjoy it. Hopefully we do more of this one. And then I have 
a TV series idea, I would say web series idea, which I am planning to write the script for it and then see maybe write shoot a pilot and then see what it happens just to see it and how it goes this idea. So I want to test that. And I have my guitar that I bought four years ago, Gee, collecting yeah. dust. I mean, I mean, you know, when you are high and you're drunk and when you watch a movie, like I was watching the movie Her. Mustafa, do you stroke your guitar neck? I didn't. So <laughs> I watched the movie Her, you know, the movie, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The, what was the name of that guy? He was... Jacqueline Phoenix. Jacqueline Phoenix. He was playing on ukulele. There's the moon song. And I, I said, oh, this is cool. I said, oh, let me go buy a ukulele. So... I went to the, the guitar shop next day and then I started fiddling around and I bought, ended up buying a classical guitar, which I didn't touch. So if I, so I say, scratch the ear of my guitar this year, I think that will be a big success. So three things. Hmm? What is this? More podcasts, make the TV series, web series idea, guitar scratching the guitar behind the ears and uh, <laughs> more writing. I'm struggling with writing. Yeah. I don't know, how do you do that? I mean, I can ask you, but I I published my second book. I I have been crying because it wasn't selling. I think the the writing. This is something that is it's definitely spoken about, but sometimes forgotten about. That writing is an effort in itself. If you write because you want people to read it, that is a whole other effort. You know. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. That I don't is. necessarily have the answers for you, so don't ask me. Yeah, that is one thing, but maybe I will just write for myself. I mean, yeah. I, when I hold my books in my hand, I like them. It's, it's a good yeah. read. So I think the one thing you have to always bear in mind, mm -hmm. it was a piece of advice I used to give to people with public speaking, but I think it applies in lots of situations where um, you can do a presentation and you're nervous and it doesn't go as well as you hoped. And some people might kind of look disapproving, but you say there's 30 people. You are the person who still stood up and did it. Oh yeah. That is. You, oh. People can criticize you, oh. but they're not doing it. You're the one doing it. And the fact you even did it shows guts and uh, preparation and, and whatever. And it's the same thing with a book. You still wrote the book. And you published it and packaged yes. it. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who didn't even do that. Oh, so even yeah. if one person buys it, that's still more than many other people. Man, okay. And of course, it's hard to bear this in mind sometimes because it's very easy to compare yourself to the next rung of the ladder and the next rung of the ladder. And I'm, I'm sure even people like Stephen King are like, oh, but I could be, you know. But yeah, yeah. you have to look ahead of you and think, well, I did this. Oh, <laughs> thanks, man. That's very right. encouraging. I guess that will... That, that's very encouraging. I, mean, I keep writing uh, journaling, but journaling is not writing. It is, I need to start One of my things this year was journaling, and I must admit, I struggle to journal. So there ah. we go. You got that on me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, I think you finished your book, right? I think it was coming this year. Yeah, I just, re actually, there we go. I just released, uh, I haven't really told anyone about it because I only just got all the... Uh, mm -hmm. The um, approvals from the platforms okay. like Friday. Awesome. I published the second collection of flash fiction. Awesome. And now I will start working towards putting out the novel. Mm -hmm. um, That's yeah. great news, actually. Miss, you are starting the year really strong now. Yeah, I, I think I am acknowledging that I will probably have to find someone who can 
do some of the marketing and stuff for me because that is a big part i think that's the part which i fell a bit short so i didn't do much marketing and that is where the money goes actually if you don't really do marketing yeah. it doesn't sell its on its own no. i mean today we went to dusman this uh, by the way a bookstore in berlin they have this english section the widest in berlin and i see some of the books on mine they have this the what was the homo sapiens yeah. I mean, okay, I read the book. It is is there anything great in it? Okay, it's good, but it's also controversial. It is controversial, yeah. but okay, <laughs> but I mean it looks uh, why does it say it's still there at the like a most yeah. sold book? I mean, do you really have to promote that thing? It is like almost six, seven years. It is just like why do people keep reading the same uh, tired story and i say but anyway because it's an industry you know it yeah. is the industry i think yeah. you have to be linked connected and then you have to have a strong marketing anyway i took your advice to the core i think simply because you did it you stood up and spoke or you wrote it i think that means more than anything i guess i will keep writing chris We didn't do the last uh, review of the whiskeys. Shall we do we that? I did. No, no. Um, overall summary, okay. That. Oh, okay. Shall we do so, that? So, where you start? So, what do you think about your overall three? You just can you give a little. I can give a little bit brief. You go for it. I think uh, the first one. This is the 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 Bavarian one, the more expensive one. Yeah. I kind of liked it, but it uh, the taste was too subtle too complex for my taste yeah. i guess i think i can drink it occasionally but i need to drink a couple of more bottles of it to, <laughs> <laughs> to a couple of bottles to really embrace the different subtleties of this one so that is that second one sleers it is easy smooth drinking i like that one i think that will be a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. drinking for me i like that one and uh, stork i think I will not go and buy a new stork, but I think it will, if I buy a bottle, it will stay in my uh, portfolio maybe for a year. So it will not be regular drinking, but it's more like, oh, I have nothing left to drink. So let me yeah. drink this one. But it is not bad, but it will not be my first choice of drink. So yeah. Slears is more like a day-to-day -day drink. And I need to drink more of this the yep. Bavarian one. That's it. I How think I would you? agree with your ordering for slightly different reasons. <laughs> I would say Sleers I have owned. I have bought a bottle before. Okay. It is very just kind of, um, it's decent. It's it's complex enough. It's reasonable quality enough to just be a good regular drinker. The Heiliger Berg is, yes, it's nice. It's interesting. It's probably too sweet for my general taste. Ah, okay. And I would just say, I don't like it enough for the cost. Okay, yeah. But it's good. It is nice. And yes, Stork, I think um, it's reasonable. It's very good value for a non-mainstream whiskey. It's a very good whiskey to have for people who are not really whiskey drinkers and they want to mix it with something. But you could also just have it neat alongside them. Yeah. It's, a, it's an easy one. Yes. I would say, yeah, I would say it's a good accessible whiskey for people who aren't really into whiskey because you can do different things with yes. it because it's not, it's not particularly overpriced. Yeah. So. They were all good. Yeah. Good. yeah. I agree. Well, Germany. Let's cheers. Prost. Germany. Prost, Germany. <laughs> and to a new year of uh, doing things, 2024. Exactly. <laughs>